1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1-4. through 4. Thank you for your flexibility here as we reflect on the Word of God and then we'll respond to it out of, uh, out of, out of praise to Him after we, we hear from His Word. We took the offering first, and maybe there's a good reason for that. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we don't always preach about giving, though you might hear churches already talk, talk, always talk about giving here, and so we had the offering first here. We're not trying to manipulate people. We want the Lord to work in hearts. But giving is an important part of what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes our attitudes about giving are uh, a little skewed. And I, I heard about a little girl who experienced a major breakthrough in her life when she learned to tie her own shoes. How many remember that day when you could tie your own shoes and you have to wait for mom or dad to tie your shoes? By the way, I only learned I, the way I learned to tie my shoes was apparently not the proper way. It's, I still do the two rabbit ears and put the one through the other and pull it tight instead of through the loop like you... I don't know. I was told I'd do it, I'd do it the wrong way. But that's what Mrs. Hunt, my kindergarten teacher, taught me. And that's what I'm sticking with here. Um, but this little girl was able to finally tie her own shoes. And instead of being excited, she was overcome by tears. And her dad asked, well, why are you crying? She said, I have to tie my shoes, she said. He said, you just learned how. It isn't that hard, is it? He said, I know, but I'm going to have to do it for the rest of my life, is what she said. And we chuckle at that, but our hunch is some of us might feel that same way when it comes to Christian stewardship and giving. We learn that it's exciting to give, but isn't there just a a little bit of, of, of dread because we know we have to do it over and over and over again the rest of our lives? What I'd like to do this morning is take away that dread and show you the joy of giving from this, these little verses in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4. If you're visiting with us, we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians. We heard a, a, a fantastic message by, by Birch Champion last week on chapter 15, verses 50-58 through 58, and the power of the resurrection uh, to be steadfast, to be unmovable, to be continually bursting forth with, with life and service for the Lord, knowing that what we do matters and echoes in eternity. And now we come to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1-4, through 4, and you're probably thinking, well, we're, you know, we were still 30,000 feet in the air there with the resurrection, and now he's talking about putting together offerings and, and money. And... That's how the Scripture is. Because theology, the truths of what God has done for us and who we are in Christ, now flow out. The identity now flows out into action here. And it's by, by God's grace that he has, he has placed us into His family. He has given us a, a, a promise of a resurrection. And He has given us the time that we have now, before we leave this earth now, to show forth His grace, to show forth the, the, the work that He's done in our hearts and to, and to live out the truth that He has declared over us. And so when we get to 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, it might seem a little anticlimactic. I mean, think about the tremendous truths of 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. And Bert shared with us last week the process of our resurrection, the victory that comes through our resurrection. Uh, uh, the, the strength of sin uh, is in the law and the sting of death uh, is sin. And 
And he explained to us why that was true. And then the, 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 the praise that bursts out in verse 57, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the confidence on our resurrection that happens, we understand they can take anything away from us, but they can't take away my life in Jesus. And the steadfastness that flows out of that. And now he's talking about, I need you guys to get a collection together. Doesn't it seem a little anticlimactic? But it's not. Because considering giving always begins with God's giving. With God's giving. Think about in creation, the world that God gave us in creation. And then think about the cross, the redemption that God gave us in Jesus. It is an extravagant giving. And what we, when we give to God, we have simply given what is already His own. The Bible teaches over and over that you as a believer are simply stewards. You don't own a thing. You don't own a thing. You may have worked hours and hours to purchase the things that you have, but when it all comes down to it from God's perspective, you and I and His children don't own a thing. We don't even own our own lives. The Bible says we have been purchased, we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so when I first of all uh, uh, begin to, 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 to push away from my own heart the, the wrong and foolish and darkened thinking that things ultimately belong to me, I'm on the step of growing in grace. And so considering giving has to begin with God's giving because when we give to God, we, are sim- we, have, we have simply given what is already His own. Romans 11 tells us that. We also need to understand that God is never in debt to us. Anything that happens to me is better than I deserve. Because of God's mercy and His grace. Because of what I did deserve. And God is never in debt to us. And so, when I, when, I, um, when I obey God or when I respond in a certain way, God isn't obligated to, to uh, 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 make my life better. But He has by His mercy and grace done that. And He's never in debt to us. One preacher talked about when his little kids were little, they would put, uh, they learned the envelope system for their money. And gave them allowance and they would put it in three envelopes, uh, four envelopes and tape and it labeled give, save, gifts, spend, and so on. And he thought they were learning and, and it was really working and they'd be responsible with their, with their money and their perspectives on life and finances and, and managing their money. And one day he had a band-aid on his arm for, from something and his daughter who was sick said, why do you have that band-aid on your arm? And he explained that he had had a medical exam that day to get life insurance and so they had taken some blood. And she said, well, what's that? And he said this, well, Daddy loves you so much and loves the family so much, that, so if anything were to happen to, to Daddy, which of course it won't, but if it would, it would provide for $250,000, he said. And her eyes got really wide and, and, and he said she has a tender heart and, and he knew she'd be worried about him uh, uh, dying and leaving. And she looked up at him with her big eyes and she said, 250000 apiece? <laughs> And you know the right lesson hadn't been communicated here, but it's 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 such a it's such a, a a emblematic of our own hearts, right? What do I get out of somebody else, right? What do I get out of somebody else? And First Corinthians sixteen is the opposite of that. It's 
What has God given me and what do I do with it? And so let's look at these verses that Paul has just read. I'll tell you that Right, uh, you probably heard and noticed that Paul tells them that there's there, 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 there is a there has been a collection that is going to be gathered here, and he has ordered the other churches of Galatia to do so. And this is a collection that we learn about in Romans chapter 15, referring to the same one. the The church in Jerusalem was in a serious uh, uh, state of poverty um, through persecution, through famines that happened. You can read about this in the book of Acts and some, and some places and spots through isolation from some of the economic systems because of their decisions for the Lord Jesus Christ and separation from their family. They were not receiving some of the accounts uh, that, that, they, that they would have needed in order to survive the church of Jerusalem. So Paul is having the Gentile churches, the other churches all around that he's ministered to. He's saying, we're going to take a collection for you in order to help you. You can read more about this collection in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because the Corinthians actually did not go as far as they should have. And so Paul writes some more about it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and says, this is, this is the mentality you need to have here about giving. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But he says, we're going to have a collection. And here's, here's what you need to do in verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. So, so take what you have earned. And by the way, this might mean this might, uh, uh, um, how they earned income, you, you need to understand, wasn't necessarily um, a paycheck. And so there were things maybe that they might have done or they might have earned that they had to liquidate and turn that into, into money or property that they sold. Think of Barnabas and others. Um, and so Paul, Paul says, whatever you have gathered up, we're going to the first day of the week, and we're going to put it in a fund. I want you to lay it up in store here. The church is going to bring it to, to the gathering here and we're going to put it together in a fund and you're going to do this in accordance and proportionality as God has prospered to you. And then when I come, we're not going to, we're not going to keep doing this. I'm going to take it or I'm going to have you uh, take it with some people that you choose to the church of Jerusalem. We're going to be a blessing to Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem. And so if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 15... To see a little bit of the of the background of, of, of what had happened. Now Romans chapter fifteen was written after the offering had been taken for the church in Jerusalem for the poverty, the collection. And so this is Paul explaining now to the church at Rome what had happened with his collection, and he says this in verse twenty five, Romans fifteen verse twenty five. But now I go to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It has pleased them verily or truly, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in carnal or material things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Now, Paul is, is explaining here about the offering, and he says, I'm going to deliver this offering to serve the saints in Jerusalem who are very poor. And he says, this is something that Gentiles should keep in mind because it's from the Jews that the gospel has come through a Jewish Messiah and through that church at Jerusalem where God had, had initially begun the, the, the New Testament church there. And he said, if, 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 you have, if you have received from them these spiritual truths, then there is an idea of obligation to minister to them for, some, for, for material things, is what Paul is saying to the Jewish church in, in Jerusalem. 
Then you can read a little bit more in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. You don't have to, because we'll get to that in a few minutes. But I'd like you to go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 10. Galatians 2 and verse 10. It's one of the things that the early church in Jerusalem had uh, ag- made sure that Paul and the other uh, apostles understood was this. Galatians 2.10 Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward or anxious to do. That was part of the commission of Paul as he, as he went through these churches, as he built them up, as he started churches, that one of the things that would be on their radar screen in big flashing letters was remember the poor. Remember the poor. Because it, it, it's, it, it was the concept out of, out, of the, out of the riches of what Christ has given us that we are to bless those who do not have the same things. So out of this passage in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, I see eight truths here. Eight's a lot of points for a sermon, but these are short points. First of all, I want you to understand in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, that we give, first of all, theologically. And what I mean by that is this. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that those in Macedonia were able to give a very extravagant, generous amount, even though they themselves were in poverty, because first of all, they gave themselves to God. They gave themselves to God. And as we began this message, I told you that considering giving has to begin with God's giving, His extravagant giving. And when we give to God, we are simply giving what is already His own. And so we are giving to God. When you give to a ministry or you give to, to uh, uh, a general fund, etc., ultimately you are giving to the Lord. First of all, it is not your money. Second of all, it doesn't ultimately belong to the church. It's God's money. And we are giving out of eternal truths. Out of eternal truths. So we give, first of all, theologically, understanding those things. Theologically just means that we understand the truths about God that then will empower us to give. So what are the truths about God that empower us to give? I'm going to close the message with those truths, but I want you to begin, to begin thinking and reflecting on that very thing. Secondly, I want you to notice that there is a giving here that is, that is giving out of a priority. Notice he says, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in stores. God has prospered him. So the idea here is there is a church-centered, a local church-centered giving. There is a priority here. Certainly it is fine to give to other fine Christian organizations here, but the point here is that in, in, in 1 Corinthians 16 was this is given to the local church to then be able to distribute to other churches for the saints. It's not that we don't give to other organizations. It's not that we don't give to those who do not know Christ. Because Galatians 6, 1, uh, uh, Galatians 6 tells us that we uh, do good to all men, right? But especially to those who are of the household of faith, local church, the churches. And so there is a priority here. And so I don't know what your um, uh, patterns and habits are, of giving are, but I would encourage you on the, on the theme of the New Testament and the, and the sound pattern of doctrine in the New Testament, your priority should be to the local church of which uh, you are a member. Because that's where your accountability will be. 
But I also like you to notice that there is a regularity. There is a regularity. The reason we take an offering every Sunday, and we probably uh, uh, um, are, we go even beyond that, right? Uh, but the idea was every Sunday in their gathering, the first day of the week, the church began gathering uh, on the first day of the week, beginning in John 20, early on in the church's uh, in the church's history. Not because they couldn't worship on other days of the week. Um, but because of the memory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. But notice what he says. Concerning the collection for the saints that has given order to the church of Galatia, even so do you upon the first day of the week. Do you know that there is a... There are rhythms in your Christian life, habits, disciplines, that are there so that you are not swayed by emotions too much either way. Now certainly we want our hearts to swell with gratitude of God, of God, and emotions are a part of that, and we want to give in those times when we are feeling overwhelmed by God's gifts to us. But you know you're not always going to feel that. And that's why it's important to uh, implement in your life the discipline of giving. Upon the first day of the week, they were to regularly set aside these gifts that would be stored up then to deliver to the church of Jerusalem. This means that um, uh, I might have had some things happen in my life that week that um, my purse strings might feel a little bit tighter. Or my wallet might feel a little bit more closed. Or my fist might want to just really be tight, right? But the idea of regular giving helps us understand that I am giving in a disciplined, regular way, regardless of my emotions or how I feel. I just want to encourage you with that. And, and, and you know, we talk about rituals, and sometimes we can look up about habits and patterns, look at them as, as though they are negative things, and they might be if, we're, if our spirit is not in them. But also understand there are advantages to disciplines of life. And we are to be a people that give in regularity. Notice it's very matter-of-fact to Paul. He doesn't really argue and give the reasons for it. He just says, oh, on the first day of the week, this is what you're going to do. You're going to store up during the week and you're going to give. It's very matter-of-fact. And then also notice, uh, fifthly, that this is a giving that is universal. It's universal. He says, even so do you. In verse chapter 16, in verse 2 he says, Let every one of you lay by him in store. All of them. All of them. Oh, he doesn't expect them to all give the same amount. And he'll say that uh, in the next point, their proportion. But he does expect all of them to give in the, in the manner and the way that they are able to give. Uh, Christian leader George MacDonald shared the story here about how God transformed him from, from, from giving as merely an obligation. And I just talked about the idea of discipline and obligation, and there is truth to that. But that's not where we want it to end, right? Discipline helps us when our emotions are not there. But, that's, but we want our hearts to be in sync with, with, uh, with, with the heart of God for giving. But he talks about this um, concept here of everybody giving and giving with a right attitude. When he describes a mission trip he and his wife Gail made to West Africa. And on the first Sunday of their visit, they joined a large crowd of people who are very noticeably desperately poor. And they were worshipping. And as they got near to the church, they noticed that almost every person was carrying something. Some had noisy cages of chickens they were bringing to the church. 
Others had baskets of yams that they had grown. Others were toting bags of eggs or bowls of, uh, of cassava paste. He said, why are they bringing all that stuff? He asked the pastor of the church, their host. And the pastor's wife said, watch. And almost every person in that African congregation brought something. Here, the chicken, the yams, the cassava paste. And he said, I saw that giving, whether yams or dollars, is not optional for Jesus' disciples. He said, soon after the worship began, the moment came when everyone stood and poured into the aisles, singing, clapping, even shouting, and people began moving forward, each in turn bringing whatever he had brought to a space in the front. And he says, then I got it. This was West African offering time. The chickens would help others get a tiny farm business started and distributed to some of the poor. The yams and the eggs given could be sold in the marketplace to help the needy in the work of the Lord. The cassava paste would guarantee that someone who was hungry could eat. He writes, I was captivated. I'd never seen a joyful offering before. Obviously, my keep money under the radar policy would not have worked in that West African church. Those African believers, although they never knew it, had moved me. I began to understand that giving, whether yams or dollars, was not an option for Christ's followers. Rather, it was an indication of the direction and the tenor of one's whole life in Christ. They all gave. They all gave. But notice, he says this in verse 2. As God has prospered him. As God has prospered him. There is this idea of proportionality. As God has prospered you. Now, all of us have certain um, uh, income uh, that we enjoy, that we receive, that are all on all different levels, right? <clears throat> and remember the story of the widow's mites, right? Where the where the, 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 the wealthy religious people were casting in large bags of money and then the widow just had that one mite. It was all she had, right? So God looks at the heart. He looks at the proportion. And the idea here is not to say, well, I don't make as much as so-and-so, so I'm not going to give as much. The idea here is, as God has prospered you, you're accountable to God for your life. As God has prospered you. I think sometimes with the regular giving, there are times and offerings where we give and we know it hurts. And some of you do that more and more and some of you need to start doing it more and more. When God has blessed you with a certain number of finances or a certain number of time or a certain amount of health. You're stewards of all of that. And if we're only giving out of our leftovers, I don't know that this is the heart of God in giving. And listen, I'm not against tithing. Okay, I don't see it in the New Testament. I, see, I think it's a good start. I think it's a good start. In actuality, if you want to look at the tithing in the Old Testament, it's probably closer to 22% as the tax that was put upon Israel. When we come to the age of grace in the New Testament, we're actually held to a higher standard. 
The book of Hebrews writes about how in the Old Testament, at Mount Sinai, when the beast of burden came near to the Mount Sinai, when God was giving the law and the thunders and lightnings were showing, even those beasts were thrown through with a spear because of God's holiness. And he uses that theme on and on and on again in the book of Hebrews to say, even so more us who have come to Christ. To put in us a reverent intimacy with God. To instill within us that because the Old Testament law is gone does not mean God is not a consuming fire anymore. It does not mean that that God is a God who can simply just be trifled with because He has ministered Christ to us in this age of grace. And friends, with a believer who has come to Jesus Christ and who has understood more and more of who Jesus is and what He has given to Him and where He came from. Let me tell you who I was before Jesus, right? Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you who I am in Jesus. And that becomes our testimony. I think we're going to, our hearts are going to be in tune with Paul and the other apostles who first of all gave all of themselves to the Lord before they gave. And so as you understand this idea of proportionality, understand it as, as God has prospered you, also understand this is not a... a, um, um, a there, there's two sides of the ditch here, right? I can look at it and say, well, this is all that God gives me, so I'm going to just give this, right? There might be a part of that to be true. And I also can't say on the other side of the ditch... Um, uh, well, I'm just giving everything, right? Because how are, if, if you give everything away, then how are the rest of us going to have to support you, right? <laughs> it means we're going to start, you know, you know, see how that works there. As God has prospered you means that you have a conversation with God. And you say to the Lord, Lord, what have you given me? And it's out of your conversation with God and the truths of your scriptures that you give sacrificially. But I don't want it to just end there. Look look at Paul. Why would we want to give if it just seemed to just go up in thin air? Or we didn't know where it was going? So notice what Paul says in verse 3. And when I come, whosoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality to Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, or fitting that I go also, they shall go with me. What Paul wanted them to understand was this. That he was not just telling them to give in the offering just for the sake of it. That there was a purpose that this was going towards. That there, that this, there, was, a, there was a end for this. That there was, a, there was a goal for this. And Paul is concerned about the accountability of it. And he's also concerned about their ownership and their offerings and givings that they're giving. And he says, when you gather it all up and we're going to send it to Jerusalem, I want you to pick some trustworthy people who will go and deliver it. And if, it need, and if I need to go with them, I'll go with them too, is what Paul is saying. So our giving needs to make sure it is coming out of integrity here as a church. That we are good stewards who are making sure it gets to the needs. That we're not just becoming fat and rich and happy, but that we are giving for purpose. Giving for for purpose. And finally, I want you to notice the motivation. Motivation. 
We really don't see uh, uh, this in verses 1 through 4. We see it later on in the, in the passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where he, where he, he, uh, he shows their motivation that is to come with this giving, because apparently he had missed some of that motivation in 1 Corinthians 16. But I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3. And see some of the principles that the scriptures do lay out in our giving to the Lord. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Everybody knows 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord. Well, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? You know, it touches your wallet too. It touches the resources you give. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 10. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. Not the leftovers, the top. So shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. He's saying that a life who trusts God and who gives out of that with their first fruits, presenting the top to God here, that's, that is associated with God with a blessing. With a blessing. It may be a physical blessing. It doesn't have to be a physical blessing. I remember hearing one preacher who preached on uh, uh, the blessing that comes out of, out of, out of giving, <clears throat> and he mentioned this in kind of a, 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 a side shot here. He said, some of you don't give because you're afraid you're going to get the spiritual blessing. And it's true, isn't it? Spiritual blessing is far greater than a barn that's bursting with food or vats overflowing with wine here. Spiritual blessing is what really matters, isn't it? There's a blessing that's promised. And you say, well, that's the Old Testament. Like, I'd like you to show you what Jesus says himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 38 and 39. This is Jesus' sermon. Parallel passage is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 38. And by the way, there's an example of this in the next chapter, Luke 7, the woman in the ointment. But he says this, Give, and it shall be given to you. A good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, or you measure anything, it shall be measured to you again. Say, well, what exactly is Jesus talking about? Well, let's look at the New Testament example here and turn to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul has to write another letter to the Corinthians, and he has to say, you got a good start with this collection for Jerusalem, but you weren't really quite there. Your hearts were not open and generous as they needed to be. And he gives an example of some people in 2 Corinthians 8 and Macedonia, and then he talks a little bit more about this giving in 2 Corinthians 9. So what I want you to do is look in 2 Corinthians 9 um, and verse 6. He says this, but this I say, he which sows sparingly shall also shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly <coughs> or of necessity or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you can see the balance there. Give it a disciplined way, but 
get your heart into it as well, right? And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness remains forever. Psalm 112.9 Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. When you plant it and send it back through the church, it comes back again. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings to God. While the experiment, the proof of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution to them and and to all men and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for His unspeakable or indescribable gift. He says this. He's saying this. Remember, a farmer who plants a few seeds is going to get a small crop. The one who plants generously gets a generous crop. And you need to decide in your heart how you're going to give. Notice it's important to remember to decide how you're going to give before how much you're going to give. And he says God's going to provide generously for all you need. You'll have what you need and left over to share with others. And he quotes these scriptures here uh, from, from Isaiah and Psalm 112. And he says, you're going to be enriched in every way so you can be generous. And when God uses your funds to bless others, that will result in them thanking God and giving God glory. And so in verse 12, he's saying two things are going to result from your ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they are going to joyfully express their thanks to God. Those two things. They're going to glory to God in verse 13. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? So that's the end of giving. That's the result of giving. And I'm going to look at one more passage and we'll close. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 through 8. So what's the heart of giving? What's the heart of giving? It's this. Moreover, brethren, we do you to know, we want you to know of the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia. So here's what he's saying. Corinthians, I want you to see God's grace at work in the lives of these believers in these churches in Macedonia. How? That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, of their own accord, praying us with with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They were living sacrifices, weren't they? And so much that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. I said, that's why we sent Titus, to see this blessing. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, 
and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Paul says, here's what God in his kindness has done to the churches of Macedonia. They were tested by all kinds of troubles. They were poor. But guess what? They're filled right now with an overflowing joy, uh, uh, an abundant joy, and, and, and a rich generosity. And he says, I, can, I saw that they gave not only what they could afford, but he said they gave far more. And they did it of their own free will. And they kept asking us again and again uh, for this privilege of sharing this gift in the believers in Jerusalem. And they did more than we hoped. And the reason they did it, he says, was because they gave themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. And Paul says, I see you're excelling in these other ways. And 2 Corinthians shows that they had started to repent in a lot of things that he calls them out on in 1 Corinthians. But he says, I want you to excel also in this, he, he says, in this grace, this grace of giving. And he says, this is a test. In verse 8, this is a test of the genuineness of your love. By looking at the eagerness of these churches in Macedonia and looking at your eagerness. And he kind of lets them draw the conclusion there. And we're going to assume that the Holy Spirit worked in their hearts and they did give out of uh, their abundance here. But understand that the motivation for our giving, it always has to start with God and it always needs to get back to what God has done for us. What God has done for us. And it's why this morning, <clears throat> after we sing, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, as, 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 the, as, the, as the one who, who in Him dwells all the fullness of God, all the riches of the treasures of the wisdom are found in Christ, the one who, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, came down in poverty. Did not have a place to lay his head. But he gave what he could and what he was commanded to, which was the precious blood of his own life. And he poured out that for us at the cross. And for our sakes, he became poor. And he lifted us up through that beautiful resurrection of 1 Corinthians 15. That's the grace of giving. That's the gift of giving. God does not owe us a debt. We could never pay back the debt that we owe. He paid that in full. But He purchased a life. And He put His own life in us. And giving reflects the life of Christ that's in us. Let's pray. Lord, as we respond now and remember that You are the God who is trustworthy, our rock, our Redeemer. You're the God who holds our future. You're the God who has reordered our past through the cross of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. You're the God who is our living hope, who has spilled His own blood and raised us to live with Christ. You're the God who formed every star, who formed every hill, every valley, the oceans. You're the God who holds all the nations in the palm of your hand. It's you who we can trust. 
It's you who has uh, who has poured out um, uh, the the very last drop of your blood for us on the cross. We thank you that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. We thank you that sinners can come to that fountain and be washed and be made clean. We thank you for the work of Jesus. And now, Lord, we ask that your word would again change our hearts. Help us to love you more and to love others and to love your work. In Jesus' name we pray.